Welcome to the Outdoor Country Talk Podcast, hosted by Jacob Poole and Jeremy Shaw, where we bring country living and the great outdoors together. Welcome back to another episode of Outdoor Country Talk with Jacob and Jeremy. All right, Jake, we're settled back into the studios, man. We are back in the studio. We are back. Seasons are winding down. It is. Duck season is, is well on the decline for us. Duck season, deer season, yeah, it's all all drawn all to dwindling a, down, drawing to an end. You know, somebody sent me a picture earlier. You know, of the I think maybe you sent oh yeah, it, all, it, all excited it. at the first, and it looked haggard and wore <laughs> out at the end. Yeah, I kind of feel that way too. I'm uh, I was debating on whether we we're gonna give it one more shot, and old buddy Shuttler, he's he's about to die to give it give it one more run. So I said, well, we'll we'll make a run at it Friday, and I'm. Well, I ain't technically hanging everything up. I'm going to try to make a youth hunt with my, with my oldest son, but that'll be a little bit different than We're going to do a youth hunt most. Saturday morning uh, down in Louisiana, and we're going to give that one, one yeah. last good go. We got got my three plus another, our little buddy Hayden's going, and yeah, figure we have one shooter in the blind. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, with him, you're going to have a shooter. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we're gonna uh, we're gonna give one more go on ducks and my deer. I don't think I've deer hunted in a month plus. But uh, I'm gonna let whatever's around my place hopefully make it another year and give the ducks one more run and and hang it up. Well, I hate to say it, but I I did a one one afternoon porch hunt this afternoon and had a rifle ready just in case one came across this ryegrass yeah. field here at the house. Did it I turn was out? Going, no, no. No, had uh, had about fifty head of cows come across. <laughs> the donkey sat out there right across the fence and brayed a couple of times, and the horses cut up for me. So, well, look, I tell you, uh, I tell you a quick story. A buddy of mine that I work with, he uh, he'd sent me like I don't know, like five text messages about this the swamp donkey that he's seen. Talked about how good it was. He he told me it was probably about a four year old, and I'm like, man, send me a picture of this thing. I want to see it. And he's like, you really want me to send you a picture? He said it's got a spread. It's it's a good one. I said, well, heck, yeah, I want to see it. Well, he sent me the picture, and it was a spotted-up donkey. Swamp donkey. Swamp donkey. A literal swamp donkey. <laughs> and uh, and he had said that. Uh, Four-and-a-half-year-old. Yeah, he had me pumped up. I'm thinking I'm going to see, you know, Muy Grande. And uh, it, it was a joke. We was talking about it in the office the other day. He said he, and it's, he, said he don't know who it belongs to, but said he was – so he got it on camera. He hadn't seen it while he was hunting. And – um. Well, he said the other evening he got it in the stand, and all of a sudden that thing started braying. He said about 300 yards, couldn't see us in the woods. Well, as soon as that thing started braying, about three deer walked out. And he said, well, dang, I may ought to keep this thing around. And he said, but I hadn't seen it yet. So I got a text message from him about, I guess it was about 30 minutes before dark. And uh, he, he, sent, he sent me a picture, and he said, there was a swamp donkey sighting, and that thing was standing right out in the middle of his food plot, <laughs> eating some buck forage oats. <laughs> he's he's figured out where the good groceries. Well, he said, are. "I'm sitting here waiting on him to bray so the deer walk out." <laughs> I don't know if I've ever waited on. Uh, I was talking with a guy the other day, and he was telling me he had a couple of mallards that stayed at his house. And I said, "You you got some tame mallards?" And he said, "Yeah." And he said, "They don't look like they look wild. You yeah. know, all the coloring and everything's right. right. Nothing's off." And I said, well, how are you keeping them at the house? I said, because, you know, everybody, you know, most of them travel around a right, little bit. Yeah. And he said, nah. he said, when I'm feeding horses, they're over eating horse feed. <laughs> he said, you want to talk about some of the biggest, fattest ducks you've ever I, Well, the, I'm sure the protein off the horse feed oh, is. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, they're not going anywhere. They probably they probably are ended their migration. 
Oh, they're, they're not migrating anywhere. Yeah, they are. Uh, they are patterned to that one yeah, spot. They are done. But yeah, in and duck season, deer season, and venturing off into my, I guess I would have to say second favorite season that there is turkey season. Dude, the pictures on social media here lately are oh, not they're helping. Up, they're not helping my addiction at all. And the guy that we have on tonight is not going to help my addiction. Any no, he's probably going to. He's probably going to make me maybe, maybe find my turkey choke and get my vest, get the rat nest shaken out of it, and and all that kind of stuff. Well, a couple of weeks ago, when I was coming out of Arkansas, a guy sent me a picture of one blowed up, and I mean, just really? in full bloom. It was a last year's picture, but he had to send it and egg it on. Yeah. And I had one of them hounds, too, goat cuts and a, a new one that I yeah. bought last year from Covenant's Ace Hardware over with Jake. Right. And, yeah, that that five-hour ride, it, it got broke in pretty well on the way in. <laughs> you got it broke in. I had I had purred, cut, kiki. We had run along with it pretty good. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess we can move right along into our, into our guest tonight, talk a little turkey with him and kind of how he got started with, with the NWTF. Mr. Jimmy Barton. Jimmy, Jimmy. are you there this evening? Yes, sir. Glad to be here. Thank you all for having me. Man, good to have you. What's going on with you tonight? I'm, I'm just about like y'all are. I'm ready for turkey season. I can tell you this has been the most trivial duck season I've ever seen. Started early, started way up north, and it's been, it's been, I always said last year was the worst year I'd ever seen. Really? So I had to eat those words because this year has been, it's been worse. It's been tough. So I'm ready for some spring weather. No doubt. Well, man, mine mine is last year was tough. I'm not gonna lie, I mean, it was it was tough last year. I was looking at my at my hunting log, and uh, and last year was tough, but this year it's been it's been better for me. I mean, it's, it hasn't been a, a banner year, I wouldn't say, but it's uh, it's been somewhat better. I would, I mean, just looking at my at my log and my hunts and and everything, I would I would say this year's a little bit better. But I've heard some people said it was it was a little bit slower for them, and some people had great years. So I don't. I don't yeah. know, I guess, depending yeah, on if you're, if you're on the X or not. Well, you know, Jimmy, to go with that, uh, we went up and played with you up north for a couple of days, and, you know, we had a first morning hunt was just a slam-up, jam-up good one. And then, you know, we scratched out some on the next two days, but, you know, that first one, we had a first-time hunter on, and, you know, he thought every day was supposed to look like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think the key that day was sunshine. That was that was the, the sunshine and the north winds what made that the other two days were cloudy and, and not much wind and I think the conditions just poor. And and from I've hunted North Dakota many years and it was the most challenging year I've ever seen up there. Uh hunted Kansas this year and Nebraska and then down in Mississippi and everywhere I've been. You know, maybe I'm just jinxed this year, I don't know, but everywhere I've been it's just been Sunshine's been rare, and uh, there's a lot of rain, a lot of water. It's, I think scattered yeah. the bucks out. Seemed like the uh, big push came through last week, but late like normal. But, yep. You know, I'm ready for the spring for sure. Hey, Jimmy, you said you say it's your second favorite season. If I had to, if I had to choose between, so I have one day to live, and if I had to choose between getting on some mallards or a turkey, I'd have to slip a pawn. I can't lie. I really would. It'd be a tough decision. That would definitely be a tough decision, but I mean, for me, if I had to, if I had to do one thing, it would have to be duck hunting, and then it would definitely turkey hunting would be a close second, and then deer hunting would probably probably be the be the later for for me. How about you, Jay? Yeah, huh? I'm gonna go the other way. I, I would 
turkey hunt, hunt just because it's here. Yeah. I don't, I don't have to travel to do it. I can That's get right. up each morning and ease down into the woods, whether I'm over at Tomachita or right here at the house yeah. or on a lease that I'm in. Uh, you know, it's, it's easier, more convenient. It is. But, and Jimmy, you, you and Jeremy probably agree with this. Turkey hunting is my solo, may have one person with me, but usually it's it's me against a bird. Yeah. It's kind of my way of looking at it. Yeah. Uh, it's from the first time he gobbles that morning, it's on me to either mess it up or, or yeah. make it happen. And duck hunting is like that in a sense. But I've duck hunted, I've duck hunted solo and to me, it's just it's just not not the same. It's as definitely it is. not as fun. It's no, sitting there with a sit, thing, yeah. I mean, sitting there with with one other buddy or or four other buddies. I mean, it only makes that much that much more fun. But well, I'm, I'm like that. It's more of your social. It you is know, turkey hunting is my one on one. You know, maybe me yep. and one other buddy. Right. Uh, duck hunting. I'm hoping it's five or six of us. Yeah. Let's go have a good good visit and hear what everybody's got going on or what junk we can get started. And, <laughs> yeah. Nowadays with deer hunting, you know, I used to be obsessed bow hunting, kind of falling off of that over the years. But me and the kids go now, and yeah, you know, it's it's more of a meet. That's right. We we don't really look for horns that much. We're looking. Oh, no, we don't around my house. Either, we're really. looking for backstrap. <laughs> no doubt. Well, Jimmy kind of lead us one, into one, one good thing about the season closing, and I'm tired of spending money at the processor because I'm like, oh, my kids <laughs> deer like crazy, and I got I figured it up the other day. And I spent about twelve hundred dollars at the processor this year, and you know I was thinking I could buy a lot of beef for that. I could buy a bunch of whole ribeyes on sale for what I spent on deer meat. I'm gonna go ahead and tell you this: Don't you ever add up the amount of money you spent duck hunting and turkey hunting to Absolutely the not. to the I volume of meat you bring home? Be sure to know. Per pound, that's going to add up quick, isn't it? Ponda, you can eat it some of the finest quick, beef, no some of the best seafood you Year ever round. wanted. Oh, three meals a day. There's no doubt. Hey, no doubt. doubt. It sure is fun, man. Mm-hmm. Well, Jimmy, kind of lead us in. What what got you, I mean, you're a, I guess with your, your um, career and, and everything, kind of lead us into kind of how that, you know, transponded and, and, and developed and, you know, what got you started into it and all that. I got you. My my, uh, my career basically was in law enforcement investigations. I did a uh, narcotics agent for a while, canine officer, criminal investigator. Then I got into insurance fraud investigations. During that whole time, I was a volunteer with another conservation group, and uh, spent a lot of time, uh, you know, putting on banquets, doing fundraising, recruiting new volunteers, committee members, and um, did a little bit of riding, a little bit of outdoor riding. I was on Drake's pro staff, still am. And uh, pretty much everything I've done in the outdoor industry, per se, was, was volunteer based basis, on a volunteer basis. And um, NWTF was looking for somebody to be director in, in uh, Mississippi, uh, South Mississippi, back around 2012. And I ended up applying for that job and and I uh, got hired and uh, been here ever since. And it's been a really, really rewarding career. It's very challenging. But it's very rewarding. Uh, I've been, been hunting my whole life. I can't remember. Uh, I can't remember a time in my life that I didn't hunt. I can't remember far back enough that I could say, well, uh, I didn't hunt. So my whole life I've always hunted. Uh, my dad was a big deer hunter. Uh, didn't turkey hunt much. Uh, growing up, went a few times and pretty much a uh, self-taught turkey hunter, which I don't know how good that is. But um, one <laughs> thing about turkey hunting is not many people will show you how to do it. So self-taught turkey hunter and and I absolutely love chasing them for sure. 
Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I'm kind of in the in the same boat almost. My dad, he, you know, he he wasn't a, a real big hunter of of a whole lot, but he got he had enough enough go in him to get me interested in it, and and heck, I I took off from there. But you know, kind of kind of the same way I would I would say. Right. Yeah. And it's uh, like I said, the thing about turkey hunting is no matter how good you think you've gotten, the next day one will humble you. You know, That's and you'll, for sure. You know, I see that uh, turkeys have a way of making a, a pauper feel like a king and a king feeling like a pauper. And it can change all in just a split second. And uh, once you think you, you know, well, I might know a little bit about turkey hunting, you'll you'll be proven wrong real quick. And I and there's nothing will make you feel quite as humble as a mature gobbler. That's for sure. Well, Jimmy, I had a conversation with a guy earlier, and he was telling me that uh, he went on his first turkey hunt last year with two experienced turkey hunters, and he said, I don't – if I hadn't been with them, I think I could have killed a bird. And I said, well, well, walk me through that just a second. He said, man, he said, we sitting there, and old bird gobbled and gobbled a couple times. We got over closer to him, and he said it was kind of a hollow in between us. And he said, we sat down, and, you know, the, the guy was telling me that, you know, the turkey's down in that hollow, we need to get closer. And he said, I was telling them, you know, that turkey sounds closer than what y'all are saying. You know, I, I think we need to be still. He said, but, you know, I I was a first-time hunter, didn't know anything about it. And he said, man, we didn't go 20 feet. And the bird come over the top of the ridge and busted us. He said, had we still been sitting down, you know, we'd have killed him. He said, <laughs> yeah. so if we'd have just done what... I said, well, let me let me go ahead and clarify one thing right there they were probably right and wrong at the same time i'm sure yeah because exactly right. sometimes in that. these hollows and going up down these hills they'll cast a you know they may be facing the other way in a yep. wind and gobble and you think he's a half a mile away and he's not you know 60 yards on the bottom of that hill down there yep. or he could sound he could be 500 yards away and sound like he's 50 yards and you just can't find him so you know, it, it is what it is, and that to me, that's part of the chess match that makes it fun. It is, and I think the I think what uh, what the gobble of a turkey does to your body and to your emotions and to your mind, <laughs> it, heightens, it heightens your senses. Uh, it, it makes it makes your your um, and I, and I relate it back to law enforcement. To, uh, you know, a shoot don't shoot situation where you end up in a shootout. First thing they tell you is you're your fine motor skills go out the window. Your hands become jelly. You know, you, you lose that dexterity and all that. And I know that to some people may seem crazy to compare that to, you know, a turkey goblin. But I think it's it's, it's very relatable because sometimes you get that heightened sense of, you know, all your alertness. And then sometimes on the same token, you, your senses go out, your judgment may go out the window. And you, you may do stuff that you wouldn't do if you weren't that excited and that excited when i hear one now that was the first time i heard one and you're right you got a split second make decision do i go after him do i wait i think the biggest mistake of turkey hunters all the way around is being impatient including myself we're impatient oh, a yeah. lot of times we should just wait it out that's a split second decision you got to make you know colonel tom kelly said uh, you pay for every turkey that you kill and the coin that you pay for them with is time and i think waiting them out sometimes seems like a good thing to do but I love chasing them, so I can relate to that for sure. Jimmy, who was it that said, and, and Jeremy, you may know, who was it that had the quote that, I wish I could blow air back into him and hunt him again? 
I've heard I think that, it was Ben I'm, Rogers Lee, I believe. I think you're right. That's one of yep. the greatest. That's one of my favorite yeah. turkey quotes is because yep. I, I can't tell you how many. I killed one here at the house this year that I'd been chasing for three years, and he had outsmarted me every time except for one time he messed up this year, and he was a fine one. But I guarantee you when I walked up to him and looked at him, I was so tickled and so proud. But you'd like to relive it. And I was like, man, I hate <laughs> I hate. Over. I don't have the chance to do it again it's tomorrow. Over, yeah. I mean – he it, and I had had a home going. No doubt about it. And, it. and the same thing, you kill a you kill a monster buck. You know, you kill a hundred fifty inch or hundred thirty inch buck. You've been hunting a long time. You know, and I'm, I'm not saying the fun's over, but realistically, pulling the trigger is not even the fun part. Yes, I love to shoot stuff as much as anybody, but the, the chase thrill is of done. chasing them, you know, <laughs> or, or talking mallards in the, you know, cupping up and coming in, or a big buck to do things he wouldn't normally do, or, or turkey, you know. That's that's the fun part. Yes, I love. If I didn't love to kill, I'd take pictures of them. But I love to shoot turkeys, love to shoot deer and ducks. But you're right. Once you once the turkeys lay in there, you know, I wish I could you know restart them and do it again. You know. Yep. Well, Jimmy, we talked with a, a guy from Mossy Oak the other night who's who started off as a cameraman with them, and we were kind of going through the the intricacies of carrying a camera versus carrying a gun. And one of the first things he said was, you know, his experience as a hunter paid off tenfold, but it was still a whole new challenge carrying a camera, trying to get it on video. You know, a lot of times it were, you know, he couldn't get the fo- the shot on on camera, so they had to stop. You know, they couldn't take the shot. And I'm like, look, that's my problem. When I'm filming myself, I'll have great footage leading up to the shot, but when it comes down to me getting it on camera or me making the shot on the bird, the camera's forgotten. That's exactly right. And, I, you know, everybody, every or most young hunters get into to hunting, you know, the video and it's cool and the wanting to be on TV and all that's cool. But I can tell you, the, the footage that these guys put out that do these professional shows and, and the amateurs, it's phenomenal. I don't see how they do it. I'm I'm lucky if I got all my gloves and my face <laughs> and then I, I bought me four or five GoPros and I did all that stuff setting it up and man the battery was always dead the memory card was full the tripod wasn't right I see how these guys do it and I don't even don't envy what they do because especially when you hunt with kids if you got all your gear and everybody's face is covered and hands are covered you're like man do we even have a gun because we yeah. you know we spent all morning hunting for our stuff you know. I don't see how they do it. I really well, don't. I've, I, I I've experienced that a little bit this year. I've I've just always wanted to wanted to film some stuff and you know not really do anything with it other than just put it together and play with it myself. But I got a nice camera this year and and I said, man, I'm gonna go out there. I'm gonna film. You know, every duck hunt I go on, I want this shot. I want this shot. I want this shot. Well, let me tell you, when you get out there, it's not that easy. Yeah, I've had some great hunts this year, but do I have all the footage and the shots that I wanted? absolutely not i mean it's just i don't know it and and me and jacob were talking about it i think maybe before the season he's like either you're gonna hunt or you're gonna film you're gonna do one of the That's two exactly right. and you i like to do both, both. <laughs> exactly, exactly right and and i can only imagine you know what those guys go through uh how rewarding it is to video all the different hunts that they video and i was listening to one of primo's uh podcast the other day and they were talking about what a tough year they've had at some of their prime places they hunt because yeah. of the flooding. And they were saying they've had a really struggle for content this year. I, I just can't imagine what they go through. And, 
and it's tough to make a living doing that too. So I don't, I don't envy those guys. But. Oh, no doubt. I started last year. I, I kind of had it in my mind that, that each duck season, I'm going to put together a video to just kind of highlight my duck season, you know, not just, just something for my pleasure that, you know, maybe one day, uh, you know, going through it with the boys, when they get older, we can just kind of look at what happened each year. And, and, uh, and man, I just, I, you know, like I said, at the beginning of the season, I had in my mind of all these different, different shots that I wanted to take and all that with the, with the camera. And, you know, I, I go through last year, I put together about a four minute video and, and I'm going to have about the same this year, but, um, you know, just it's not really, I guess, struggling for footage, but it's just struggling to make yourself say, "All right, this group of ducks are here." Enough to do it right, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, all right, well, th- those ducks didn't finish. And then the next group come in. I find myself holding my shotgun in my hand, trying to kill them, and my camera sitting over there on a tree arm and looking at the water. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, exactly right. I don't know well, how these guys you get do in, it. You get into turkeys, especially deep south turkeys. It's a thousand times even more challenging because you know. Yeah, we all get on those hot streaks where we got a lot of chances to shoot birds, but we also, I'm sure, all get on those streaks where it may take us two work, two weeks to get a bird in range, and you get one little funny camera movement. Boom, That's it. You know? yeah. Whereas with ducks, it's tough. I video both, but you hope you get that next volley of ducks. With that turkey, you may not see him again on exactly right. see the camera lens or hand movement or something. So I don't see how they do it. I really don't. Well, yeah. Jimmy, let me tell you one on Jeremy last year. <laughs> Jeremy called me. He had a bird at his house or a place he had access to hunt. And he said, man, he said, uh, he's just kicking my honey. And I said, well, look, let's go play with him this afternoon. I'll bring the camera and we'll film it. And, I'd been you know, on him for three mornings in a row and I just couldn't. I'd, I'd get him before work and I'd fool with him to about 8 o'clock and he's just spanking my tail every morning. So we go that afternoon, what, one thirty ish It was somewhere look, right after lunch, yeah. Yeah. Ease down in there. We get set up, set, get everything set. I, I barely had the camera even set up on the tripod and turned on, and we hit a little call, and when we did, that song gobbled, and he wasn't, what, 70 yards in the woods, maybe? Yeah, and I said, he's finna be right here in our lap. <laughs> get ready. Well, he busted out of the woods and comes up, and he is in full strut doing his thing. I mean, he's putting on a show. And I'm trying to get the camera on him, but there's a two-inch tree that's in between (laughs) me and the bird, and I just can't get past it without moving. And I told Jeremy, I said, look, he's fixing to clear the tree. I'm going to get good, you know, hold up, hold up. Well, when he cleared the tree, all of a sudden I've got, you know, just a moment's worth of really, I mean, he come in the prime picture and it was like, oh, we're fixing to get some footage on this strutting dude now. He's going down there towards him hens that we had the decoy out. And it's like he's, well, he's fixing to put us on a show. And about the time I thought, here's the show, boom! <laughs> <laughs> I had in my mind that this bird had whooped my tail three mornings in a row. And I had him at shoot fifteen steps, <laughs> dude. When he yep. shot, I looked from the turkey back to him and like, really? <laughs> like I thought we were gonna try to get some footage. He's like, footage my yeah. foot. Uh, he was within yeah, distance. Imagine, I shot him. Imagine having to do that every day. For oh a yeah, like a sixty minute video to sell. You know, I don't. Crazy. We'd have a lot of video of walking in thing. and walking out. Exactly right. I laughed at him. I was like, look, we had another 30 yards he was going to strut to get to the decoys. What in the world made you shoot him? He said, like, uh-uh. He got here. He, he had been trying my patience. He had to go. I was making sure he went down. I was like, well, all right, I'll get some good pictures of you walking out with him, and we'll take a good picture or two at your mama's when we get back. 
Well, did you get did you get the footage of the look on his face? That would have been good. Oh, we got that. Yeah. If I could have got the footage of the look on my face when he shot him, that would have been the one to have. Kind of like the what For the sure. heck was that? Uh, yeah, it was more yeah. footage of all right, what what call did you use? All right, the, the walk the in, the walk out. Is, if you'd have been shooting, you know, I've had it happen to me, and I've been on both sides of it. And if somebody ever does it to me, I'm determined. I'm gonna live long enough, if any way possible, to get them back. Is it when a bird comes in, you're not, you know, usually if I'm hunting with you, you hunt with me with. Left, you got him. If he comes right, I got him. But I've had several buddies just pull the rug out from under me. And I didn't even know they were going to shoot, <laughs> and I reciprocated with them before. That's the only thing I think would have been worse than that if you had the gun too and thinking you were going to shoot. And he jerked the rug out. It's happened for sure. No, it was definitely his hunt. I mean, it was, uh, you know, I, I put five on film last year, and I had no intention of hunting at any point. I was I was the cameraman, backup caller, or, or lead caller, and well, then when it came around to, to play opposite roles, I was going to film you, and we never got one on film for you. No, we had that bird in a tree at, what, 70 yards? Oh, yeah, maybe. 60, 70 yards, he was up. And when I tell you he flew across the river and we didn't know the river was that close, we were hunting a new place that I had gotten in a lease with some guys on, and I was like, man, I don't know what's down there. Well, we got down there, and when he pitched down, it was like he's on the ground here somewhere. And about that time he gobbled, it's like, oh, never mind. <laughs> he's he not here anymore <laughs> that's crazy yep they they can definitely do a houdini on his own he had a spot in mind over in a different area that he was headed to and when i tell you he made a beeline because i went back two or three mornings trying to figure out where that spot was and try to hit him off because he was not interested in coming to a call at all he was going to his spot and hens were coming to him right he had been pressured before no doubt. Well, Jimmy, lead, uh, lead us into, you know, your role with NWTF and kind of what that entails and, and you know, what what is what is the day-in, day-out for you with, with, with the organization? Right. Well, I cover everything from Yazoo, Yazoo County, all the way to the Gulf Coast, and I cover from basically uh, Meridian to uh, Vicksburg, so pretty much the lower half of the state I cover it. I have approximately 32 chapters. And our chapter system is made up of volunteers uh, in different communities, and usually they're business guys in the community. They, they, they know how to get out and get people to our events. And our, our core our core uh, fundraising is through dinner banquets, and we have about 65 of those in Mississippi a year. And uh, I help coordinate those. I, I, I work with volunteers. Um, we can't do anything we do without our volunteers. They're they're completely critical to our mission and i try to manage them recruit new volunteers and they get together they have meetings and they schedule a banquet and then we try to get as many people to come and we have raffles and games and auctions and different things there at our banquets and then we raise that money and that's how we fund our mission uh i'm not a biologist i'm not a forester i'm, I'm a professional fundraiser uh, recruiting members upper level members and uh, committee and volunteer recruitment. That's what I do. Yeah, y'all got some pretty large chapters in your I area. Do. We do. We do. The biggest one in Mississippi, and it's in the top fifteen in the whole nation, is the Pike and Mitt chapter, which is right there in y'all's back door. Uh, yeah, and it's coming up here really, pretty soon. It's coming up. It's on the twenty seventh, February twenty seventh. Yeah, well, right at a month. Yeah, right. At, I got the thing. I saw it on Facebook the other day. Somebody sent me an invite for it. And now, Jimmy, y'all have the big, uh, y'all got the big expo up in Tennessee, the uh, 
Yeah. Convention. Convention. Right? Yeah. I always want to go to that. I'm, I'm yeah, you should go. Year. That's a turkey hunter's paradise right there. You, you think you got a lot of calls and you think you got a lot of turkey gear. When you go through there, your feet will be worn out. And you probably go, spend however much money you're you going to need a trailer pocket. to get it back home. <laughs> That's exactly right. If you like me, the last thing you need is another turkey call. <laughs> and I, I, I'm like y'all probably. I got so many of them that I hunt with the same two or three yeah. every year. Uh, I may try a different mouth call here and there, but for the most part, I. You know, I need a, a wheelbarrow to push them around because I like them. I, I just about every call I pick up, I like it in some way. But if you go there, you'll buy some more. You know, that's Valentine's week, Valentine's weekend. Last year we had around fifty thousand people come through there. Wow! And um, fifty thousand. NWTF is perfectly situated. I mean, Nashville is perfectly situated because our core, our biggest area, is the southeast and the Midwest. Yeah. So Nashville is perfectly situated. Um, there for that convention, and it's a really good time. And as a member, if you're a member, you get to go into the uh, exhibit hall and see all those booths and all the displays for free. If you're not a member, you can join for $35, and that yeah. gets you an annual membership, and you get in the door there. It's a really good time. If you haven't been, if you're a turkey hunter, you owe it to yourself to go at least once. Well, now, that's what I was you a- can sell that to your wife or girlfriend to go there on <laughs> Valentine's weekend. That'll be a cute buck. I'm we, we planning do a lot to, of things catering to women and trying to make it a good time for the whole family. Well, Jimmy, my there. intention this year, I'm 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 going to sell it to mine, and uh, we're going to probably bring the the kids up. And, and and part of what I want to do is go around and talk to folks about this podcast and kind of let folks know, uh, you know, what we got going, and you know, see if we can't find some some new interesting folks to talk to, uh, like yourself and. You know, just kind of kind of spread the word on it and see what all is new in the industry. But yeah, I think I've got Tiff talked into it. So Jimmy, yeah, I is think a, she'll, she'll have a good time, and, and it, it, everything's very family friendly. And we try to cater toward everybody. We try to have stuff there for the ladies. We have stuff for for us men. We have we have kids on all kind of stuff for the kids to see and do. It's a family friendly uh, event the whole weekend. And you know the the hotel there. If you haven't been to the Gaylord Oakland Hotel, it's beautiful. You know, in itself, and all the stuff we have going on, it's a, it's a great weekend getaway. And for us, for y'all, and for me, you know, Nashville's only seven, seven and a half, maybe eight hours. Yeah, you are from South Mississippi, so right. Get up there in half a day and spend two days there, and be home. Uh, you know, Sunday evening. And one thing we did this year is different. Traditionally, the show has been Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Uh, and this year, it's actually going to be Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So you can have Sunday as a travel day. Okay. Uh, we have a worship service that morning. Or yeah. Remington usually sponsors that. And um, we have a prayer breakfast and a worship service on Sunday morning. Other than that, you got Sunday to get back home. So it's, it's, yeah. a, it's a good weekend trip. And of course, I don't know how much y'all been to Nashville, but Nashville's one of the coolest cities. Oh, in man, man. Me and my wife, yeah, me and my wife, we frequent Nashville. That's one of our, you know, most favorite kind of just, just a getaway place. You know, it's yes, not, like you definitely. say, it's not too terribly far. And man, we. Right. We love going and listen to music and, and love the town. But it's a good place. One thing I want to kind of transition to, I know, you know, with Jacob and I, our involvement with Delta Waterfowl is always a, a common question whenever you, you know, you talk about these type of organizations. Tell us a little bit about, you know, whenever you have a banquet, say, you know, the Pike Man, I try to go to it every year. And tell us, 
whenever the money is raised at these banquets and um, wh- where does it go? Because that's one of the common questions I hear. No, it don't matter what organization or what banquet you have. Well, if it's you know DU, Delta Waterfowl, NWT, whatever it is, the people that come to it, they all, well, where's my money going? Kind of lead exactly. us into that's a good point. Kind of lead us into point. and and maybe clarify some things for people or you know let you know just just air that out of of where the money goes. Whenever, whenever somebody attends that, they become a member of MWTF. We'll be happy to. Yes. Yeah, so, you know, you have a banquet and you have 400 people there. And the first mis- mis- misconception I want to try to dispel, and y'all know this from being volunteers, is you have three or 400 people there, 200 people there. And let's just say you bring in 100,000. Let's say this, this round number, 100,000. That would be an excellent banquet for any organization. Right. Well, and I, I heard committee members say it when I was a volunteer. Man, we raised a hundred thousand dollars. Well, you did, but you actually didn't. Right? You, yeah. got, you got a lot of expenses. You no got to doubt. Pay to rent the rent the place where you're having it. You got to pay a caterer. Usually, you have a bar. You got to pay all that merchandise is not free. All the package, the prints, the, the guns, all that stuff. Yeah, there's that a cost. Free stuff. We, have, <laughs> we it, it costs money. None of our guns are donated by the manufacturer. We buy them. And we buy them at a good deal, and then we raffle them. Let's just say you have a hundred thousand dollar banquet. Let's just say when all said and done, you when it's all with you have sixty thousand dollars left over. Well, I would say that would probably be a pretty good number. That would be your net revenue. No different than if you're running a cattle business or if you're running a, a retail store. Your net profit. We don't like to call it profit because we're a nonprofit group, but it is profit. It is what your bank. That net dollar is what puts money on the ground, and that's what's important. Um, a lot of people get caught up in, well, why is all the money we raise here in Lawrence County or Lincoln County or Pike County, why is that money not all stay here? Well, there's no successful um, group that I know of that has raised money for wildlife on a local scale that I'm aware of that has worked. Um you can you, you know, talk about a couple large-scale operations that are even smaller than a national organization like California Waterfowl, Alaska Waterfowl, but still, on a on a local level, if, if you if you try to put all the money back at a local level, you have no oversight, you have no match rate, and we'll talk about match rate because that's the most important thing that NWTF is doing with the money. So all that money goes into we're a national organization. Right. And a large percentage of it comes back into the state, what we call a state super fund. And that's what makes us unique compared to a lot of other organizations. Um, the state super fund, not one dollar is spent by me. As an employee, I can't spend a dollar of it. I have no say-so over where that money is spent, what projects it's spent on. That money is controlled by volunteers. And those volunteers make up a state chapter, state board. They're elected throughout the membership. Uh, Mr. Nelson Estes, y'all know him. He's yeah. chapter president of Pike Commit. He served two terms as a state chapter president. And he's the immediate past president at this point. But that money, there's uh, 20, 18 or 20 of those board members. And that money is spent based on the most important thing. We don't ride around and hand out money. There has to be a project request. It's a two-page form. You fill it out, request the money. Then the state chapter looks at that request. Mr. Adam Butler, he's the uh, director of the 
Turkey program with MDWFP. He's on the technical committee. Every dollar the NWTS spends in Mississippi goes by his goes across his desk. He is one of the people who has say so and advise an advisory role on how we should spend that money. So what they do is we have these requests that come in and they rank they rank the requests. There's a couple things that they look at. Number one is how many acres does it well, first of all, does it fit into our mission statement? And if it fits into our mission statement, how many acres is it going to affect? How many hunters is it going to affect? Um, and what the match rate is. And I'll tell you that in 20, uh, 2019 in Mississippi, we uh, we can serve 16,000 acres, 16,613 acres. MWT portion of that was about $180,000. Our matching funds was uh, 4.5 million. When you say so conserve, what do you what do you what, what is what is your definition of that? A matching fund? No, when you say you conserve that many acres, what what do you mean? Well, it could be it could be on a WMA where you go in and open up an overgrown okay. area. Yeah. You could do fire there, you could open up wildlife openings. It could be where we go out and we do some private land stuff where we uh, get a consultant out there to help do uh, burns. Yeah, well, long leaf pine restoration. There's a huge, you know, huge uh, realm of what we do as far as conserving acres. Gotcha. Um, food plots on WMAs, uh, national forms, lots of different things that we do. But that is about, if my math is right, around a twenty-five to one match rate. So for every dollar we spent, we converted it to twenty-five dollars. Now, who is doing and the that, match? Go ahead, sir. Who's doing the match, Jimmy? It, it just Is depends that a state on the project. Or a it could be any. It could be any of the above. So, like uh, one of the projects that we that we did this past year, uh, what about a three and a half million dollar match was a place called Land Between the Creeks, and it was a place on the Pascagoula River WMA and um, Black Creek. And what it was, there's was this huge area that you couldn't access. Our hunters couldn't access. It was public land, but there was no way to access it. So we go in, partner with these different organizations opens up a lot of access and and the biggest thing that i think on the ground spending that we do is we don't hardly go to anything alone we partner with mississippi state we partner with all the different uh, national forest service uh, uh, mdwfp is probably one of our biggest partners and we don't we don't tackle any of this alone because your, your partnerships are what make you powerful as far as affecting the most acreage and the most um the biggest bang for the buck. Uh, Sounds like and, it. And, it, and I, what I was going to say is last year, a 25 to 1 match rate, that's, uh, there's some states like Texas, over a 10-year history, they got a 25 to 1 match rate. In Mississippi, uh, our, our uh, the numbers I'm looking at here, five-year uh, history, we got a 12 to 1 match rate. So you go, in, you go into a banquet, you spend $100 on a raffle ticket, you just put $1,200 on the ground. Of course, you know there's still costs involved in that, but I got you. to me that makes you feel like a conservationist. When I spend a dollar, I put twelve dollars on the ground. Now we decide we're going to break away and start the Lawrence County Wildlife Federation. We're going to lose that match because we have credibility with every federal and state agency, and they know we put our money where our mouth is, and they know they can count on us to, to do good projects. And if you start trying to do, conservation on a local level it just doesn't work 
and that's one of the biggest reasons is you miss that match rate that, that we get with NWTS and nearly a 50-year history of, of putting money back on the ground. But the thing about it is if people don't request the money, we don't spend it. We don't, we don't ride around and turn turkeys into some people's property. We don't ride around handing out money. And we, we have to have those funding requests so that we have accountability. And tomorrow night we're having our budget meeting for 2020 and 2021 spending in Mississippi. And there'll probably be 50 or 60 requests in there. And we'll spend hours going through them and ranking them. This is, you know, this is a project that we need to fund. This is the match rate. This is the number of acres that's affected. Um, we, we hash it all out in and Jimmy, where do those where do those down to the volunteer? Where do those requests come from? Is that from you know your volunteers submitting those requests? Usually, it's, pla- it's places like like uh, for example, um, Home and Shield National Forest, the Ranger District okay. over there. They may have a project. Got gotcha. you. say that they have a project that they want to fund. Uh, they try to get as many people involved as they can because they can do the same thing. They can take their money and multiply it by because they got more people involved. Sure. And we try to do as much as we can on public land that's open to everybody. Now, we do have private land programs as a member that you can be a part of. But a large majority of what we do is on, is on public land. Because we want, we want to be accountable for the money that we raise and the money that we spend in that. We don't want to spend it somewhere on something that you can't access or I can't access. That's not doing anybody any good. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, I know as a as a sponsor, all the years I've been a sponsor, you know, NWTF always does a, a real good package for you sponsors. And, you know, you get a – if I buy feed or buy – it's different things. I get a discounted price. Right. You know, Conservation that works. seed a program. And yep. that, that's one of the things like this year we had that. You get Roundup Ready Corn for $29 a bag. And the last time I priced Roundup Ready Corn, I planted some of the duck on – years back it was like 250 bucks so wow. basically you're getting it for 90 percent off of the cost and we we offer soybeans we offer milan wheat um all, all kind of different seeds and that's one of the best member benefits and that's one of our private land programs because like me i, I travel hunt turkeys and i hunt public land in other states but i don't i don't turkey hunt on public land in mississippi it's, it's not because i don't think it's good it's because during the early parts of the season and most of the parts of the season in Mississippi, I'm doing banking almost every day. So I don't get to hunt in Mississippi as much as I'd like to. But you got a lot of turkey hunters. You know, we want to spend money on public land, but you got a lot of turkey hunters who do not hunt public land. They hunt their own place. So we also have to have programs that are geared toward private landowners. But there's no special club. There's no special, hey, we're giving this guy preference. It's open to anybody who's a member. You can buy the seed. You can have our biologists come out and look at your land. We can do uh, long leaf restoration programs. The, the programs are, are numerous, and, and it's open to anybody that's a member. If you want to plan, if you want one of our member benefits and you're not already a member, it's $35 a year to be a member, and you get a magazine every every other month. So yeah, uh, the biggest threat, and you may be going to go into this, but the biggest threat to turkeys in the southeast is unmanaged timber. Bar bar none, head and shoulders, that's the issue, is unmanaged timber. And the best thing you can do for your timber is fire. Uh, and we help with those programs. And it's 
that, that's one of our biggest problems is unmanaged timber and our fire on the 40 that we help fund the longleaf pine restoration program we have our own biologist that all he does is in 13 counties in southeast mississippi 90 percent of what he's doing is, is helping landowners write uh longleaf pine restoration plans then we have a biologist she covers the whole state she does other other projects but the, uh, the Lonely Pine ecosystem is the second most diverse in the whole world, second only to the rainforest. And there's a lot of counties in Mississippi that are eligible for funding for that Lonely restoration. Well, Jimmy, jump off. And this may be a question for the biologists, and we may have to get one of y'all's biologists on here before long. But uh, what about predator management? Do y'all do it very well, much in predator management? Or have we, we seen we a big pre- impact on hogs on turkeys? or? We do. We view predator management as one tool in your toolbox for management. We don't see it as an individual issue. We see it as as part of your overall habitat project. You know, what if you have a hundred acres or you got ten acres? The best thing you can do with your money and your resources is on habitat. If you got a hundred acres of growing, and keep in mind, I'm not a forester and I'm not a biologist, so I'm kind of get. Uh, opinion on it uh, if you got 100 acres of pine trees that are say they live volley pines and they're eight years old and they're growing up so thick that you can't shoot an arrow through them then your money may not be best spent on predator management predator control yeah your money may be better spent on you know at whatever interval you can thin those pines make some openings make some clearings if you're riding down the road, yeah, don't, don't throw a fire time, in there. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> right. At any time you're riding down the road, to your left and you look to your right, almost every stand of pines you see are just overgrown and not managed. And so you can't take predator control as just one tool in the tool belt. You got to have other things that you do, and, and we see it as a as part of a comprehensive plan. And I, it, there's 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 no way that it's just coincidence that the decline in fur prices and decline in trapping happens at the same time that turkeys have declined. They have to be related. Um, But if you look at predator management as part of thinning and burning, wildlife openings, food plots, all that stuff, put that in your toolbox, but don't rely just on that. No, I I guess that really wasn't where I was going with that. I was just kind of, I guess my main question, let me me back up there. In in our area, you know, since I was a chap, you know, when we were growing up, we had seemed like a little bit better turkey population than we have right now, and I I may be wrong. I think you're probably right about that. But we have a lot more hogs than we've ever had. Well, then going back, and I was wondering how much, you know, have y'all seen – or, or would that be more of a biologist's question? Has there been a been big impact that you can directly say that hogs have, you know, decimated the population in this area that they've really affected it in that area? There, there are studies being done, and I don't have the results of the studies, the scientific part of it. But I, but I'm we're about the same age, and I can remember in the eighties and nineties when we were really, really in the glory days of turkeys in Mississippi. And there again, I can't help but believe the same time that the hog population has has increased, the turkey population has, has gone down. And whether they're scientifically related, I, I can't answer that. But I do know that a hog, there's only one thing a hog will eat, 
and that's whatever he wants. Yeah. <laughs> so if he walks up on a nest, there's nothing telling me that he, he's, eight, he's eating acorns or he's reading around digging for stuff, you know, that he's looking, that he normally eats, and he comes up on a nest, there's, there's nothing that would tell me that he wouldn't eat the eggs or even no eat, you know, small poles. So, well, Jimmy, tell um, me this. Going back to the 80s, 90s real fast, what were the turkey hunter numbers? Do you have any idea, you know, are there more turkey hunters now than there were then? Are there less? Have well, we seen an incline or a decline in turkey hunters in the last 20 years? Are you years? talking about just in Mississippi? Yeah, just in our, as a whole? in our area. Well, that's one of the, that's one of the, uh, that's one of the kinks in our armor that I think we have or a missing link there. Uh, we don't know how many turkey hunters there are in Mississippi because we, we haven't, the MDWFP can get an estimate, but whereas you go to Nebraska, you have to buy to Kansas, you, you buy a certain turkey, turkey tag. tag. You go to I Florida, got you. you buy a turkey tag. They can tell you in Florida exactly how many turkey hunters they got. They can tell you in Nebraska exactly how many turkeys they hunters they got, and they got years of data because it's based on the way they do their license sales. Yeah. In Mississippi, you buy a sportsman license or a big game license, or it covers everything. It includes you... all that, so there's really no way to know. I got you. But, I hadn't thought about that, but. The mandatory harvest reporting should that was implemented this past year over a three, five, ten year, twenty year time period, that will give us an idea. It's not it's not foolproof, but it'll give us an idea how many people are are turkey hunting. And um NWTF was very crucial in helping getting that legislation and that, that law passed uh, for harvest reporting. And we we didn't do we didn't do that just as a law enforcement tool. We didn't we didn't. Our main goal was data collection. Oh, I got you. No, we want the data because if you look at the habitat needs of Harrison County, are totally different than they are in, in Pike County. They're totally different than they are in Yazoo County. And they're totally different than they are in Mount Marshall County. Mississippi is a long state, and what's going on in North Mississippi is totally different in south mississippi and so we've been trying to do conservation with a broad we've been trying to paint with a broad brush and now with that data your question was about hunter numbers and i'm gonna get back to that or turkey hunter numbers now with that data we'll be able to tell county by county what the population trends are what the harvest trends maybe we need to do more work in lauderdale county than we need to do in claiborne county yeah but in the past we've just been we've been really crippled by I don't want it to cost anybody any more money than it's costing now to hunt. But, you know, what would it hurt if we had a turkey stamp? I don't care if it costs 25 cents, 25 cents, or you had to get an endorsement or whatever it is on your license. That way we know, do we have 5,000 turkey hunters or do we have 55,000? But the biggest threat to hunting nationwide, and this is one thing I want to talk about, is hunter numbers are declining at an alarming rate. We're talking about all hunters, and what's happening is uh, it's it's we're bleeding at the neck as hunters because the numbers are steadily declining. And what happens with that is you got to study how Pittman Robertson dollars work. Now, I've been hunting my whole life, and before I went to work for NWTF, I'll be honest, I'm embarrassed to say I didn't even know what Pittman Robertson Act was. I didn't know how the dollars were distributed. As hunter numbers continue to decline, conservation dollars are impacted and threatened. 
because of that decline. And um, in Mississippi, I don't think the hunter number decline is as critical as it is nationwide. But if you if you Google the, I think 2016 or 2018 was the last numbers they released. They usually do it every five years. Don't quote me exactly, but I think the numbers went from 15 million licensed hunters down to 11 million. If that trend continues, yeah, we're all not in a, trouble. That's definitely not we're a good, especially when you're trying to pass it on to future generations. Because I know yeah, you're exactly right. you're like we are. Yeah, you, you have your kids out in in the outdoors every chance you get, and so do we. Whether it's duck hunting, deer hunting, turkey hunting fishing whatever it is you, you're always trying to keep them outdoors and we want that legacy to be able to continue for for generations to come that's yep. exactly right and the thing about it is you know we're all well, i know jacob you and i are about the same age uh when we were kids we played football baseball we played basketball we did all that stuff and we went to church and we did all that stuff but uh, but we didn't have somewhere to be every single night of the week. Now kids, they have so many things that are they're tugging at their attention. And parents only have so many hours in a day. They only have so many dollars to spend. And when they start looking at all these activities the kids are involved in, hunting is taking a back seat. It hasn't in my house, I can tell you that. I can speak for myself that <laughs> it hasn't. Hadn't and here you know, either. You know, y'all, it hasn't either, but for most most families, you know, travel sports and little oh, you're sports playing are great. you're playing baseball, softball, soccer yes. all year long. Your yeah. your tennis, your golf, your you know, and, yeah. and nothing's wrong with any of that. It's just no. you know, there's more things available. You're taking to, away from one thing to give to another. Yes, there, that, there's so many exactly more right. activities available. Yeah, you know, than there were years ago when we were growing up. And I'm sure if you ask the generations, you know, before us, they said the same thing. You know, all them chaps, they ain't tough. They don't do nothing. Exactly right. Well, and the the, the statistics show when they when they poll people who used to be hunters who are not hunters anymore, um, or people who, you know, maybe got introduced into it but didn't get into it head over heels like we are, the number one reason why people are not hunting the, the and this this is their statistics, not mine, was the number one reason was they have no place to go. And access, having a place to go, is so critical. And that's one of the reasons we really, really focus on spending money on public land. And, you know, I know y'all probably the same way. When I was a kid, we, we when I started off deer hunting, we ran dogs. And we could run our dogs almost anywhere. You oh, can't yeah. do that anymore. I don't dog hunt anymore, but I'm just saying, back then, we could go pretty much any swamp we wanted to, shoot wood ducks or or shoot a deer, and hunting wasn't as commercialized. And, hey, look, I'm all about capitalism, all about uh, people, you know, spending money and making money and all that. But at the end of the day, times have changed. And in places that you used to go kill a turkey or deer, you know, those days are gone. Land's leased up, you know, at least in the southeast, you know. Out west where you got, you know, 70% of the states of public land, it's a little different. But down here... It's a money maker, and you cannot blame anybody that has land that wants to make money off their land. You no, no. I mean, you've got to – well, and you have to look, too. You know, for a farmer that has a lot of access to land or, or has land that they own, they're they're trying to make a living. So if they're not doing it yeah. off of crops, they're going to try to do it yeah. off of leases. and One way or another. Yeah, they, <laughs> exactly they've right. got to make a living. But Look, Jimmy, we I challenge you people that are listening – not only get your kids outdoors, get other kids outdoors. And the thing about it is – Baseball, 
and all sports are great. But how many people do we know who spent their whole childhood so focused on one sport and didn't hunt as much? Very few of them ever make it big anyway. Hunting is <laughs> something you can do for the rest of your life. Absolutely. Thank God I don't play golf. <laughs> golf is another thing you play your whole life and the good thing about hunting season is it closes and golf you can play 365 and i'd be hooked on it i'd want to play every day but hunting is something you can do forever you know and you know where these team sports the, the time is limited on them and my kids are involved in every they've played every sport you can play and i've spent time and money on all of it and i'll continue to but at the end of the day you know besides church and school to me, hunting is the best thing you can get your your kids involved in. Well, we it, we agree too, Jimmy. But hey, look, we're we're getting toward the toward the end of our time here, Jimmy. But uh, man, I think we may have to get you on for for yeah, another. I, I episode know we here. are because we hadn't hit any hunting stores yet. No, so, we hadn't even scratched the surface. Yeah, Jimmy, but, if you uh, if you'll make us some time here in the next couple of weeks, we'll try to get you back on and yeah, uh, let's hit let's definitely. actually can hit I some say, of these travel. One more thing, real yeah, quick. man, run go ahead. ahead. Our events, our banquets that are coming up. For more information, go to www.nwtf.org/events, and it'll pull up every event that's happening state you buy it state by state by zip code by radius of where you are and you can pull it up information and if you have any information i mean if you have any questions about any of the events call me my number 601-455-3318 we'd love to have you in our events i, I just want to make that plug because we're in hot heavy in our bank season love to see you there absolutely well everybody we hope you enjoyed this episode of outdoor country talk with jacob and jeremy god bless Lord, to make you feel alright I got the windows down I got the radio on